contemplate participating in our week-long retreat. Um, we call this the sandwich retreat, and sometimes when we call the sandwich retreat, of course, you know, doesn't mean much of anything at all unless you've done it before. But we call it the sandwich retreat because it consists of two weekends where it's just normal, regular practice, sitting and walking, the Dharma talk, um, you know, silence. And then you're sent home during the day to um, work or be with your family or hang out or however way you usually spend the day. Um, and we send you home with a mindfulness exercise. So it could be wise speech, could be relaxing into discomfort, it could be all sorts of different things. We concoct these things each year. And then one goes home and practices, and then um, we come back together in the evening and talk about it. And then you go the next day and practice. So in other words, it's, it's an opportunity for instant integration into your life. You know, because this is such a big question, how to integrate the practice into your life. And so this is a really wonderful way to do it. Plus, I would say that always, at some point in the retreat, one gets a real sense of community. You know, sometimes at CIMC, it's... It's, um, it's a little bit elusive. It does exist here, but it's, it's somewhat elusive sometimes. And this is a guaranteed way to find community. It's not at all elusive. So I also wanted to mention that um, the dates are November 3rd until November 11th. And, and in the evening, there's been a little um, confusion about this. It's 6.30 p.m. until 9 p.m., not 6.30 a.m. until 9 p.m. <laughs> because we have to send you home to do your thing so that you can come back and, you know, uh, we can kind of go on from there. It's really an important part of the practice to not be here during the day, but to be in your retreat center during the day, whether that's work or home or wherever your retreat center is. So, and we do give priority to those who can commit to sitting the whole entire week, and also we live in the city, and we're quite understanding um, if you can't. So we want everyone to do as much as they possibly can. But please inquire in the office. We have kind of this, you know, like um, the whole week, and then both weekends, and then one weekend, and then this kind of thing. So definitely um, don't just cross yourself off if you know you can't do the whole thing because of responsibilities or this kind of thing, or your schedule not permitting it. Um, inquire into the office, and we'll see what we can do. Okay? All right. All right, so um, what I'd like to speak about tonight, um, the title of the talk is Easing the Torments of Heart. And um, it almost makes one immediately relax, you know, just to, just to remember the title if you can't remember anything else, you know? Easing the Torments of Heart. And we do start from the viewpoint that it is possible to ease the torments of heart. We, we start with any degree of faith or trust or confidence in yourself, in the path, in the teachings. And I'd like to begin and actually end with a quote by Jakusha Kuang. Just as the light of the sun penetrates a magnifying glass so sharply that it makes a fire, the light of awareness dissolves greed, anger, and ignorance, the three great obstacles to our original mind. 
In this dissolving, you become aware of the nature of your heart, which is vast like an ocean and calm, quiet, bright. So when we think about the torments of heart, everyone suffers from the torments of heart. And I could go around the room and um, many of you would say different torments of heart are operating for you. But, you know, just, just so that we're all on the same page, some really common torments are grief and loneliness, longing, anger, despair. Even boredom, of course, can feel like a real torment at times. Resentment, depression, fear, anxiety, unworthiness, jealousy, envy. Yeah. And this is a really partial list. I might have left your favorite one out. So please just add it to the list as if I had said it. You know, maybe, um, can, you, can you not hear? Okay, it's okay. Are you, is it excruciatingly hot in the back of the room? Or is it okay to, <laughs> so we're having clashing conditions here. Are, are you, are you? Okay. Well, we have a we have a window closed there. Yeah. Are, or, or, would you guys be all right with the window closed? Some, those of you in the back. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. I think it's really hot. And you don't have any layer to take off there. So, yeah. Okay. I will try to talk a little louder. That's another option here. Okay. And the it is still open in the back. So anyway, add your um, own. Um, torment of heart to this list, feel, feel really free. The word in Pali, which of course is the language that the Buddhist teachings were written down in, is kalesa. Yeah, kalesa. It's a really handy word to know, this word kalesa. I mean, you know, you won't use it in casual conversation unless you're with other practitioners, but it's still a very good word to know. And my favorite translation of the word kalesa is torment of heart. There are other ways to translate this word that I'm somewhat um, leery about, but I want to offer it to you because vocabulary sometimes helps a lot. And maybe a word that I say that won't connect with, um, some people will connect with you and will kind kind of touch you in some way. So I don't want to just stick to my own translation. Um, Other ways of talking um, or translating this word kalesa is negative states of mind, disturbing emotions. I think we can all connect with that. Um, The unwholesome states of mind within, meaning that which is unwhole and fragmented. Afflictive emotions. Vexations, toxins, that which is unskillful regarding action, speech, and thought. And sometimes really strong language is used. Sometimes the kalesas are called the poisons yeah, or the corruptions. And a really common translation that you'll hear in this particular lineage is defilement. You will hear the word defilement. I do prefer the phrase torments of heart because I think that language does matter. And, um, you know, it's just one translation, this word defilement, among many others. 
most of which I've, I've offered you. But I think we hear the word defilement as something being impure that we have to get rid of within us. You know, that, that our practice is to purify as if there's something wrong with us that we have to fix. You know? And I think that um, we don't want to judge these disturbing emotions, these very difficult feelings that we all experience. Um, maybe a lot of the time, maybe from time to time. And so um, use whatever translation you'd like. If defilement hits home and is helpful for you, fine. And if torments of heart helps you to approach the difficulties within with a greater degree of kindness and compassion, then please feel free to, to use this translation. Traditionally, the kalesas are kind of divided up into three different different things. And I was kind of alluding to that with the quote that I read around greed, anger, anger and ignorance. And this is how the kalesas are often spoken about, greed, hatred, and delusion. It's really blunt language, as you may have noticed. You know, when I was first beginning the practice and trying to explain this to um, people in my life, particularly my parents, I was out to dinner with them, <laughs> and they, of course, wanted to know why I was leaving them and felt very personal and going on retreat, and um, you know what I was up to. Was it a cult? Um, <laughs> was it going to really take me away from them? You know, was it something that was going to be really separating? You know, my my child. You know, what's what's wrong with my child? So. Um, they asked me to explain, and I, I explained in a number of different ways, but at one point, out eating with them in this very kind of relaxed way, um, I said, you know, I'm, I'm practicing so that I can get uh, let go of greed, hatred, and delusion. <laughs> and my mother looked at me, and she was so shocked, and she said, who do you hate? <laughs> you know, and she, she related to it in that way, that I hated somebody in particular, and that's why I was practicing. Yeah. So it's very blunt language that is sometimes used in this practice. And I think for those of us who have been at this for a long time, as some of you in this room have been, it kind of just goes on by. You hear greed, and you don't take it personally. I am a greedy person. You just know that, of course, there is that, that desire and that longing sometimes, forgetting that we have everything we need within. Yeah? Um, when we are engaged in um, hatred or anger or aversion, you know, we deeply believe that if we can only get rid of our object of aversion, then we'll be fine. We'll be just fine. It's, it's what's provoking us. It's what is evoking this. You know? And so we, we get into this delusion that if only I could get rid of what seems to be creating this feeling within us, which is actually only evoking this feeling within us. Um, you know, we get lost in that belief. And delusion, you know, delusion's a hard one because we don't, you, you don't even know when you're deluded. It's kind, of, <laughs> it's kind of the definition of delusion is that you only know that you're deluded when there's a little bit of wisdom there. You know, so it's constantly really um, kind of, kind of going into delusion and having the air clear and seeing things differently, you know, kind of this newfound clarity occurring. But when you're deluded, um, 
you know, you're gone, basically. You're, you're confused. And so oftentimes this is where teachers can come in handy, um, where really good friends can help, really kind and discerning friends can help. Um, you know, where we can, can help each other around this one because it is hard to see it on one's own. It can be helpful in terms of looking at greed, hatred, and delusion to see what one leads with. You know? And you have to look at this in a very kind of loose and um, kind way and not identify with what you see. But there is this thing called in the teachings or in the commentaries actually called the personality types. And if you approach it in kind of a light and, you know, kind of um, a loose way and a little bit more amusement there than clamping down on it, it can be somewhat helpful to look at the different personality types. And what this means is that if you're leading with greed, if greed is the main thing going within you, is the strongest torment of heart that's there, um, the example used is that you'll come into a room and um, you'll, you'll look around and you'll notice everything and you'll start wanting what you see. You know, So you'll look, look at the person next to you and you'll think, well, they really have a great shirt. You know, How can I get that shirt? What can I do to get that shirt? Oh, now I've got to work to be able to get the money to get the shirt. You know, and you're, you're, you're kind of off and running. Or these cushions are just so great. I, I, I don't have a cushion that's comfortable. I'll be a great meditator if I have the right equipment. You know? And so you're looking in this way. You know, I need, I have to have. And the color, you know, it's not, it's not just the, the cushion itself. It's also a really serene color. You know? And so you're, you're looking from, from that viewpoint. So that's kind of just an example of, of leading with greed. If you are what is called an aversive type, then you come in and you start criticizing. You know, something is always wrong. You know, <laughs> never is anything um, just okay the way it is. Um, something is always wrong in any context that you're in. And you know, because something is always wrong in reality, it's really easy to get behind this. <laughs> But it's like, it's like, you know, really kind of homing in on this and getting behind it and believing that you actually can see what is wrong. You know what needs to be changed, what needs to be fixed. And then everything will be quite right again for you. You know, so just kind of leading with this torment of heart. It's so interesting. I mean, it's interesting when you play around this with this just to see what happens when you enter into a room. You know, what does happen when you come into a room? And with delusion, it's really funny because the uh, teaching around delusion is that you come into a room and you don't even see anything. You know? In other words, you leave the room and somebody says, well, who was there? How many people were there? What was it like? What did the person say? You know, well, actually, I'm, I'm confused. You know, I, ca I can't quite get a, get a hold of that. And maybe they didn't say that, they said this. And maybe there were 100 people, maybe there were 25. You, know, you, you don't really see what's actually going on. And so that's just an interesting thing to see as well. But I also have to caution you, sometimes people get way carried away with this one. And I have to say, we don't hear, but there are meditation centers where even in the meditation center, people get 
a bit carried away with it. Like, you know, greed types are good in this position, and aversive types, you know, it becomes just another typing, like those other kinds of typing um, that can be, I can't remember any of them now, Myers-Briggs or those kinds of things, right? So it's a bit tight if you do that. And also, you don't want to associate yourself with being any kind of a type. You know, I am a greed type, I am a aversive type. It doesn't sound so great. And um, also, you know, in terms of looking at others, we want to perhaps be a little more understanding and compassionate, you know, because it's just sometimes can be a bit of a help, and other times, um, if you reify it or, or think it's true, um, because all of us have all three, you know, usually abundantly. So um, it's really important not to clamp down in this way. But I do remember while practicing in, in Thailand um, with a teacher there who was really into the types, he really wanted um, me to see uh, what I was leading with. And it was so funny because I was trying to convince myself and him about what kind of a type I was. You know, I kept telling him, I'm, I'm the delusion type, I'm the delusion type. And I kept really kind of getting behind that. And he kept saying, I don't think so. You know, but I, but I, I, I was so kind of attached to that. It really took me a while to really see into this one more clearly. And, you know, of course, people help as well. So to, to, to see this really in the service of inner liberation, because the point of practice is to recognize and to let go of the mental states that cloud the heart's true nature. You know, the mental states that cloud the heart's true nature. So simply to recognize, it's really, it's very, very, it's getting hotter, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we want to come to this kind of investigation around the torments of heart, around easing the torments of heart, from the point of view of this is how things are, you know, is a really a universal situation, you know, so one shouldn't feel kind of isolated or, or you know, personally picked on when one sees the torments of heart within, but to really recognize that this is how things are. This is why we're practicing. We wouldn't need to practice if there were no torments of heart. This is really the why of the practice. This is why we're engaged in practice. So to really just just, you know, kind of acknowledge to oneself, this is how things are. And also, you know, maybe the next question is what to do about this fact, that this is how things are. That's the question that might naturally arise. One thing to do is to readjust one's relationship to the inner disturbances. And the second thing is what is called satipanya, Sati means mindfulness, and Panya means wisdom. When I first met this teacher, Mahabua, that I was referring to in Thailand, actually it was a disciple of his who was trying to get me to see the type. But Mahabua, when we met with him, he said there are only three Pali words that you really need to know in order to practice. The first is Kalesa, the second is Sati, and the third is Panya. Yeah. So you need to know that there are torments of heart, and you also need to know that one can be mindful, one can be aware of the torments of heart. And you also need to know that it's possible to bring wisdom and interest in. Yeah. And this is, 
this is really what alleviates the torment. So the first thing around wise relationship. <clears throat> In the Thai forest tradition, it's really common to, as some of you know, it's really common for the language to be one of enemy. You know, that the Kalesas are our enemies. And the, the phrase sometimes is actually used, kill the Kalesas. You know, this is, is a phrase that is used. And it, it kind of implies this hand-to-hand combat that we have to engage in. You know, full military regalia when we're, um, when we're trying to um, um, work with the torments of heart. You know? Like kind of a warrior stance. And it's not that there isn't a positive aspect of this warrior stance because people do very well oftentimes in that environment. Sometimes people don't, but oftentimes people do. But really what's meant by it is um, Manjushri, whom you'll see um, pictured behind me with a sword in his hand. And, you know, this is like sword of wisdom. You know, kill the Kalesis. You know, really um, go at it. Um, really devote yourself to practice, to letting go of what is tormenting within. Yeah. So what's really meant by this is the sword of wisdom. But you know, when you first hear this, it's a little bit kind of disconcerting, and um, you're thinking, well, I thought this was a non-violent practice. When I was in Thailand, Larry and I were there the first time together, and he got such a big kick out of this, he kept going around kind of swatting calaces off of me, you know? <laughs> like, like, he'd say, there's one, and he'd like, you know, <laughs> and there's another one. You know, I knew he was just getting good, having a good time poking me. It was a good excuse. But... Um, you know, kind of like this, like like mosquitoes. Yeah, All right. So the problem is that we can easily, when we hear this kind of language, as I say, it's not of absolute necessity, but it is possible when we hear this kind of language because of conditioning, to perpetuate the torments of heart um, and not mean to. You know, in other words, if we don't understand that it's a sort of wisdom, when we hear kill the Kalesas, what it means is try to get rid of them. You know, how not? You know, be aversive to them. And the problem is that when we are aversive to anything, even if it's aversion to aversion, you know, or aversion to anything whatsoever, the result of that is going to be more aversion. You know? So this is really, really an important point. You know, we, we, we really, you know... Um, in a heartfelt way, want to relieve ourselves of suffering. You know? And yet we find ourselves perpetuating um, the very problem because we are adding aversion to aversion. You know? So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's something that is really, really important to see. It is actually wrong view to think that we should be able or get rid of the torments of heart. What is important is our efforts to understand how the mind works. And the only way we can do this is to get close enough to them. So if if we're like this, like holding them afar, then we won't be intimate enough, we won't get close enough to see what is really happening and what might be skillful in terms of relating to them. So 
we need to understand, we need to recognize, and we actually need to let the torments of heart come into consciousness. So many of our efforts in life are devoted to not letting the torments of heart be felt and experienced. Yeah, I mean, certainly before we begin practice, we're real experts on this, of doing anything we can so that we don't have to allow um, that which is tormenting us to come into consciousness fully and to be experienced. And then, you know, when we begin practice, we can kind of do the same thing because that's our conditioning. So instead of being skillful, we're pushing what is so painful away. And it's almost counterintuitive at times, you know, to let ourselves feel pain sometimes feels, feels quite counterintuitive. But in reality, if we can allow that which is unconscious to be conscious, to become conscious, if we can allow ourselves to actually feel and experience, if we can make room for the torments of heart as they're happening, we begin to see that we're not feeding them, and so they change and dissolve on their own. Yeah. So this is, this is the real key here. to see if we can allow them in, make room for them, not justify, because a lot of the torments of heart we can really get behind as justifiable. And so it's really important not to justify or blame because ourselves or others or conditions or situations, because if we do, then we're just kind of off track. We're really not caring for our hearts. We're actually losing our gateway to liberation in that moment. And we're just kind of taking a side trip. Mm. So seeing if we can make room for, seeing if we can fully experience without rejecting, without suppressing, without justifying, without evaluating, without agendas and expectations. Now, a real key, though, in doing this is to deliberately see if we can let go of the story about why we're feeling what we're feeling. That can be so helpful in psychological work, you know? I mean, really helpful in some kinds of psychological work that we may need to do to discover the why. Because sometimes discovering the why can really um, help with compassion, relating to our difficulties in a kinder way, so it's really important. I kind of lost my track here. What was the last thing I said? <laughs> what? Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. That was a test. No. <laughs> I totally forgot. Um, yeah, so this, this kind of conditioning we have about um, thinking that we have to always figure out why it's happening. It's almost an addiction. You know, and, it, and it's, a, it's sometimes a deep belief system that if we figure out why, we won't have to feel it anymore. It won't be happening anymore. But my goodness, I mean, those of us in the room, probably most of us have spent countless hours, you know, trying to figure out why. Maybe, maybe you know, even as children, because oftentimes, you know, children who are interested in these things grow up to be meditators. So it might have been a really long time that one has been trying to figure out why is this happening and how can I get rid of it? And, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it acceptable? Is it unacceptable? Do I have to pretend that I'm not feeling it? You know, do I have to wear a mask? Do I have to defend myself against it? 
all of this. And so we're actually in practice doing this quite radical thing. It's not easy, but it, as I say, it is the key. You know, we're doing this quite radical thing of seeing if we can respond to our hearts without the storyline. You know, really, really the compassion of letting go of the storyline, of the why, of the past, of what's going to happen in the future if. You know, that's really a big one. You know, if, you know, and it's, a, it's kind of a big open if. What is going to happen in the future if? And we miss the point when we're doing this. You know, so, so really kindly, not like, you know, shouldn't be thinking, because thinking happens and that's how it is. It's not anything we can do about it. But we oftentimes have a choice as to whether to add to the thoughts that are happening. You know, I mean, dwelling in thoughts and thinking that it's necessary to think. And um, kind of in a very compulsive way, being run by our thoughts, you know. So if we can understand that it's not helpful, if we can very gently and, you know, sometimes firmly, I'm not saying that always like super gentle, sometimes sort of, of wisdom has to come out where we have to see, ah, you know, I know the beginning of the story, I know the middle of the story, I know the end of the story. I know the beginning of the story, I know the middle of the story, I know the end of the story. You know, 10 million times. You know, 10 million times. Not like I need to find out what the middle is and I need to discover what the end is. We know that. You know, we really know that. And yet, somehow we feel like there's something useful in that, you know, of continually doing that. And it's actually oftentimes a way that we avoid or try to escape or flee ourselves. You know, it's almost like in those moments we are abandoning ourselves. We're abandoning our hearts. And so really to notice when this is happening, really to take it on as a practice. Yeah? Not that something should happen if I do this. We can never negotiate with awareness. Yeah? We can never say, okay, I'm going to drop the story, and so if I drop the story, then you know, something really good is going to happen, or I'm going to get what I want, or this feeling that I can't stand is going to go away right away. You know, it's really not that. It has to be much more innocent than that, much, much fresher. You know, kind of much more sensitive, where we're really interested. You know, we're really filled with what Sumedho, a wonderful Thai teacher, calls affectionate curiosity. You know, we're really bringing an affection and a curiosity both to the inner dilemmas that we face. So, sati meaning mindfulness getting close enough to our experience in, to be able to look at it, and then bringing in an interest. Because if we can be um, aware of what's happening, and if we can be vitally interested in what is happening, then wisdom naturally does the uprooting for us. We don't actually get, have to get that much involved. You know? We have to actually let go of the ways that we interfere and think we have to get over-involved. You know? And instead, taking a step back and seeing if it's possible to approach our inner, inner dilemmas, our places of great angst and hurt, in a really different way. So unwise relationship or view to the torments of heart is aversion. And taking them personally. You know, thinking that they are mine, 
I'm the only one who has ever felt this, or you know, the only one who has only ever felt this to this extent. Um, you know, it's not so bad for others. It could not not possibly be so bad, you know, for others, and yet it is. It is. So we see the ways that we claim our difficult emotions as ours, you know, as something that feels so personal. And it does feel personal. But this is where it really helps to remember the teaching, to remember that the torments of heart are actually aspects of nature. You know, they, they come, they flower, they do their thing, and like any other aspect of nature, they change. You know, they are actually not as substantial as they seem to be. Now, when we're hit by something super strong, you know, you can hear this, you can listen to this teaching, and it's so hard to actually take it in. But any way that we can remember a sense of perspective helps us. It doesn't have to be like like all perfect or anything. We don't have to completely um, have great confidence. But any way that there's a sense of perspective that perhaps this is nature. Perhaps this isn't mine in the way that it seems to be. Perhaps this isn't who I am. This isn't a permanent appendage, a permanent aspect of being. It's actually a visitor. So in, in any way that we can have this sense of perspective, it's just great because a little bit of wisdom is operating. You know, maybe not as much as we want to be operating, because really, truly, what we want is relief. You know, but still, some degree of wisdom is operating, and that means we're going in the right direction. It's always fantastic when there's any degree of wisdom that's happening. You know, even if we're still suffering, if we're still going in the right direction, we're still very much on the path. If any sense of perspective or wise relationship, or wise view, or seeing into things, um, not from our conditioning, but from the perspective of seeing things as they are. It's very, very good. Wise view, or relationship, is taking an interest in finding out how the mind works. Not my mind, but how the mind works, and this particular mind is the only one handy, and the only one that, you know, I can truly know what's happening in from moment to moment. So taking an interest in how our minds work. And checking our motivation. Are we aware for the sake of understanding, or are we aware to try to get rid of? So again, this sense of negotiating. And is it possible to... to, in seeing that, for it to switch into a wise relationship. You know, it's like in practice, we can never lose. It's not like anything that occurs is a problem. Everything that occurs is, is just material for liberation. So from the viewpoint of practice, it doesn't really matter what's happening. You know, it's not to be judged or assessed or evaluated. But to see is a way to kind of kick us back into wisdom. You know, to see the unwise is the way to click back into the wise. <coughs> so another way to approach this, there's a teacher who came this last spring called, uh, named Utejania that some of you met, and he wrote a book that I really like the title. The title of this book is Don't Look Down on the Defilements, They Will Laugh at You. 
know? It's really, I mean, it's just, it just is such a good title. <laughs> Don't look down on the defilements, they will laugh at you. And I think what this implies is a respectful approach. You know, that our inner angst and our inner difficulties and our inner disturbing emotions and what feels so tormenting at times, really they're worthy opponents. You know, there has to be a respect in, in the way that we enter into our work around the, the um, inner life. You know, we have to have that sense of kindness and, and respect, or else we are going to be, be perpetuating what we absolutely do not want to be perpetuating. But I think also this title is kind of a way of recognizing their tenacity. You know, that we can practice and we can experience and we can, you know, see a particular habit kind of lessen and change and, you know, this and that. And then it's back again. You know, there it is again. It's so tenacious. And I think just to recognize this and have some compassion for ourselves is really, really important, is essential. You have to look at it like this, that we've had years of practicing torment. And for most of us, not that many years of practicing liberation. You know, so of course, what's going to happen? How we have practiced is going to be how we are and, and is going to bear fruit. You know, so if we have practiced because of not knowing, because of ignorance, not because of having wanted to, but because of not knowing another way, of course, to turn things around, we have to be enormously patient and kind and caring. Working with these torments of heart skillfully, as I said before, trying to get rid of aversion, the result is aversion. Trying to get peaceful states, the result is greed and agitation and restlessness because they're not happening. You know? I mean, simply for that reason, that they're not happening. So if we think we have to get them, you know, then there's something always off. We're not with ourselves as we are. We are practicing actually understanding and releasing, relinquishing, and allowing for a dissolving. The kalesis, the torments of heart, are to be known and understood. And there's a huge difference between interest and identification. You know, identification is this is who I am, this is how I am. Because of the past, this is the way the future will be. You know, the past imposing itself on the here and now. And interest is more along the lines of what is this? How is it being experienced? You know, can I actually um, know it right here and now in this body-mind experience? You know, can I feel where it's manifesting itself or expressing itself in the body? You know, it might be the belly, where the belly feels a certain way whenever you feel a particular you know, uh, kind of mental state, such as fear or anger or terror. You know, maybe you feel it in the belly. Maybe when you feel uneasiness or anxiety, you can feel it in your face. Yeah, that if you could look at a mirror at that point, you might look really different than you might think you do. Yeah? So, so relaxing the face, really encouraging a, a relaxation of the face. We're really interested in 
what you might call a silent sense of presence or a silent presentness where we're really calm and quiet in the midst of the turmoil. We're really sitting in the middle of life, in the middle of our experiences, and learning how to be with what is. So being aware of contraction and tension in our bodies. And also, one can notice struggle in the mind, you know, where we just don't want what's happening to be happening. You know, that sense of contraction and, and discouragement and struggle. And the question from the viewpoint of practice is, is it possible to soften into that sense of struggle instead of continuing to struggle you know, and getting behind the struggle and thinking that's the only way out is the struggle, to see if it's possible to, um, to stay very quiet and to um, relax into the resistance. Yeah. We don't have to be non-resistant because that's, that's too idealistic. But to see if we cannot resist the resistance would be really, really great. That's a leg up sometimes just to not resist the resistance. And then to see if we can be aware that everything is changing. You know, we, we look at things in such a glossy way. This is how things are and this is how things will be. But if we look more closely and more carefully and with a greater degree of intimacy and connectedness and wisdom and kindness, we can actually see that it's moving, it's changing, it's always flowing. You know, we fasten onto one thing and, and really think that that is how things are, where it is how things are in the moment. But then in the next moment, there's something else. In the next moment, there's something else. In the next moment, there's something else. We don't want to land We want to see if we can sustain this sense of silent presence, loving kindness, patience, um, inquiry, um, affectionate curiosity, investigation, and just see how things are moving and changing and flowing. The awareness of the torments of heart means that letting go is already happening. And we can have this sense of confidence and trust that if we are aware, it's always a really good thing, no matter what we're aware of. You know, really dropping the idea about we have to be aware of this or we have to be aware of that or because we're seeing something really difficult or negative or disturbing that, um, you know, we might as well not be around for it. We might as well not be aware of it. But recognizing that the awareness itself is is enough. So seeing um, if we can get behind that sense of confidence that the fact that we're aware of it means that it's already in the process of being let go of. What this means is that it's on its way out no matter how long it takes. We all want to know how long it's going to take. Yeah, and it would probably be quite wonderful if somebody could tell us that. You know, read our future, do a psychic reading. You never hear things like this, like how long is it going to take to let go of the torments of heart. But, you know, you, you never know. One never knows. And we have to find a way to be at peace with this fact, because it is a fact that one never knows. And nobody can tell you, you know, No one can tell you, and you don't know yourself. What we can know is that we're moving in the right direction. We're moving in the direction of letting go of agony and disturbance and 
um, suffering on even very subtle levels, not just, you know, I've been kind of pointing to really strong the sensations of torment, but also on very, very subtle levels. It, it begins to untie itself. The knots begin to, to be untied. So if we can actually drop this idea of how long it's going to take, so much peace enters into one's life. You know, right away, there's a great deal of peace and ease because there's a sense of confidence that we're doing what we need to do, you know, and we're being as skillful as we possibly can be. But there isn't that extra tension laid on around how long because, again, this is in the realm of mystery. This is in the realm of the unknown. There's so many conditions coming together that it's not possible to know. So if we could relax around this one, and it's just a thought, by the way, how long is it going to take? It is absolutely just a thought. It seems to be real, you know, and a, and a reasonable question, but it's actually just a thought. So if we can see that it's a thought, it's just a thought, then sometimes there can be more patience. You know? And patience... Um, is really key. The point is, is that if we are mindful of the kalesis and have the right viewpoint, have the right perspective, you know, such as that the kalesis, the torments of heart, are not personally owned by us, we deprive them of their nutrients, their necessary nutrients. You know, so the the things we get into in terms of judging, in terms of um, wanting something to last longer in terms of trying to fix ourselves or trying to figure out why a particular emotion is occurring. You know, it, this whole thought about time. All of this is feeding. All of this is actually perpetuating. And so we want to deprive the kalesas, the torments of heart, of their nutrients, and then they die out on their own. Uh, Ajahn Chah uses this example that cat lovers hate, but let me just um, uh, give it to you anyway because it's kind of a good one, which is that if a cat comes by and you don't feed it, eventually that cat will go away. Eventually that cat will go away because it's not getting fed. It's not getting the nutrients it needs. If If we can approach our torments of heart in this way, then we can really actually experience the fact that we do not have to be caught and tormented for the rest of our lives. Caring for the heart, easing the heart of his torments, means that there is awareness. We can't just want them to be gone. It's really a gradual process of dissolving. So I'm just going to one more time read you the quote that I like by Jakusha Kuang. Just as the light of the sun penetrates a magnifying glass so sharply that it makes the fire, the light of awareness dissolves greed, anger, and ignorance, the three great obstacles to our original mind. In this dissolving, you become aware of the nature of your heart, which is vast like an ocean, and calm, quiet, and bright. Let's just sit for one moment together. Okay.
right, so um, what comments or questions or anything that you'd like to say? Yeah. Okay. I'm getting a kick out of this. I, I think the Buddha might approve because, you know, it's, it's a creative um, kind of approach. <laughs> um, I, I guess it strikes me as probably not helpful because, <laughs> because you know, the medicine, <laughs> the, the medicine is always wisdom. So even if there's only a little bit of wisdom, like a drop of wisdom that you can, you know, rev up or remember, this is worth more than anything. Yeah, so I, I would go for the drops rather than transition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Grief. When you were talking about not feeding Yeah. Almost two years ago, my mom died No, no, don't be sorry. Mm. And um, I still feel like I'm very much in that process of grief. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I go through, you know, the, the push and pull of on the left hand Okay, this is how I feel. This is where I'm at. Yep. I have to accept it. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other, the other side of just like, not wanting to let it put me down so much. Mm. And, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I just... Yeah. And I understand the group is a process. Yes, that doesn't have a timetable to it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I think it's very different from the other ones that were listed, like um, mm-hmm. unworthiness and mm-hmm. all of those things are mm-hmm. different formats, but it seems like, it seems like, like grief is something that's a little bit more... Mm. I know what you mean because it's, it's always because of loss. Right. Yeah. And it's and not necessarily delusional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. I just want to know if you could say something about the whole of not feeling. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. right, right, yeah. I feel that with grief, um, and I, I know what you mean about grief. I mean, I didn't imp- want to imply that anything is really delusional because it's how one feels, so it's how it is. Um, with grief, almost, it's woven into the practice itself because we're always contending with loss in some way. Yeah. So in a, in a very deep way, um, you know, it's, it's sort of inter... Yeah, you understand what I mean. But in the face of a huge loss... You know, of of someone so close and so dear, um, I think that acceptance of that feeling is really important, um, and not letting it zap your energy. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's you know because if it's exhausting you, then it's not it's not moving. It's really just taking something away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, to me, one of the questions would be: Is it possible to approach this differently than maybe I am? And I'm not exactly sure what that might look like for you. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me how you have been approaching it. Accept it how? Well, accept that I can't pretend to be happy okay. in this phase. Okay. Okay. So, like, for example, if I go to the social gathering, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not necessarily in the flow. I'm in that mode. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. 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 Uh-
I'm sorry, I can't, I forget the words, but the kalesas. Kalesa. But then yeah. you talked about letting go, and I don't know, I kind of missed the connection between the two as to. Okay. I, I, um, I didn't really understand, are there two approaches, or is one. Well. Or did you go from one to explaining, to contrasting the two approaches? Yeah, I was talking more about um, kind of how you approach the torments of heart. And I was saying that there can be this attitude of kill the Kalesas, which sometimes implies attacking them, which is never a good idea. It's never a good idea. I don't know if that's where you misunderstood, but that's yeah, good you asked. Two different okay approaches? Or yeah. No, no, no. One approach. <laughs> wisdom. One approach. Um, I was talking about the sword of wisdom, which um, is not an attacking. It's seeing so clearly that, you know, it changes on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, good. Thank you for asking. Yeah, yes, Bill. Yeah. I learned something that really struck me tonight, um, that you don't negotiate with your will. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's like the sword. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I learned that you don't negotiate with the will, and I never heard those words together. A negotiation and awareness? And awareness. Ah. Yeah. That's I think it's Western, you know. Yeah. I think it's. I don't know if negotiate is in the teachings. I've never seen it. I think it's it's a Western thing that we're always negotiating. That's right. You know, we're always. That's that's. It's kind of a real strong conditioning. When I'm in the midst of an obsession, yeah, I am. A, I can be aware, more conscious that I'm obsessing. Yeah. And then I also am aware of saying one more thing. Yes. Right. Yep. 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 It's okay. Doesn't matter. Or yeah. just one more. It's uh-huh. like having one more gummy bear, or having. Uh, it's so mm-hmm. hard when I'm there mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you really stop it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Another thing I noticed is I had a crush on someone recently. I would say I still have it. But, <laughs> but I thought at first, isn't that nice? Because I'm out of depression, or it seemed like uh-huh. I'm alive again. Yes. So yes. Yes. It. Yes. But then I got this torment of heart. Uh huh. Yeah. And I, then I thought, then I worked with this person. Then I thought, oh. Then I tried to avoid this person. <laughs> then I tried to. <laughs> the person doesn't know anything, right? You just right. Oh, or I, I, I put thought into what I think he might. Yeah, 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 right, right. So it went on. Like yeah, yeah. And then I talked to a friend, and it was very visual. And uh, then I got jealous of the next colleague who I saw that might be interested also. So another torment. Right. And, uh, and it just went on and for a bit, for a few weeks. And I'm uh, much more at peace now. And uh, I'm able to see it more. But it was so hard when I was in the group. Yeah. Because. I came to an awareness at one point that I felt bad, or I felt I shouldn't feel this way, uh, or hmm. I'm not really loving this person, it's for me. And then it went deeper into I feel shame mm-hmm. about the feelings, mm-hmm. having my own feelings, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. judging it. Oh, it's only a crush, it's only this. Right, right. And then I thought, oh, how can I ever be with someone if I'm going to judge this? 
<laughs> Which is really a leap there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. At times it was fun, but at times it wasn't. Right, right, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I wanted to get rid of it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to change the job. But I didn't have to do any other. Good, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can be friends with this person. Has it actually evolved in that you really actually see you might be able to be friends? Yeah, still Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a it's a process. So, boy, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's living it all out. Yeah, to kind of get to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I almost said I'm going to lecture on Thomas of Harvest. I'm not going to know. That you you're going to what? Right. Oh, boy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, you're really onto something there. Because that, you know, bringing it into the realm of speech um, makes it into a totally different thing. Yeah, yeah. Then it makes it into, you know, a thing, like something that needs to be addressed, something that begins to have a life to it, you know. So to have, to, to experience it in yourself, it sounds like you really went through a whole cycle and are coming out the other end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So inquire into that because how would you not? Yeah, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Right, exactly. The historical time of. The inquisitor being my mother. Yeah, ah, uh, right, right, exactly. So you want to kind of turn inquisitor into investigator. Yeah, kind investigator. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good. Yeah, in the back. Hi. Um, I haven't been here in a long time, and I took your beginner's class, and I'm still there, but I'm glad to be here. Thank mm-hmm. you. And I'm really interested. I love that idea that you go home and practice with each other because mm-hmm. that's, a, I mean, even if I'm not meditating, I feel like I'm always practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And like tonight, before mm-hmm. I came here, like I was with a partner that was so furious because he couldn't find the special t- jar for the tomato juice. It was like, I'm like the worst crime ever. And I just tried, and I don't know how you practice in that moment. I know that if you meditate and you try to think right, that hopefully you'll be better in that moment, but what if you're just not prepared? And so I sat there quietly, trying to think of lovely thoughts, and that I couldn't stand it anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know what you do. I mean, do you walk out? What do you, what do you do? What, what, so you what, don't mess up further. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, it's like not trying not to compound the suffering. You know, there's suffering, and then how do we compound it? Why do we, how do we add to it and give it a life? And then there's karmic consequences, and, you know, we're kind of off and running. So that is the question. And it's different depending on, this is where practice is really an art form, more than anything else, because you know you kind of bring all your research sources into a situation like that, and um, try to apply them in the best way you're able to, and um, you know oftentimes there's learning that comes out of that, even if you've done the wrong thing, or done something that has compounded the suffering. Oftentimes there's some understanding or learning that comes out of that, 
And then, you know, then you know for the next time, oh, I could try this. Oh, you know, um, actually I need to use restraint. I need to sit on my hands. Um, you know, oh, actually I need to speak up. Um, you know, but I need to do it in a way that it's going to be heard instead of in a, a way that is totally self-centered where because I'm saying it, it should be heard. You know? I tried all of them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what if you can say what what did happen? How did did it kind of really just move out of control, or? Yeah, I finally just because there were also negative comments about my family. Oh, I see. I see. So I just I just listened, 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 and said I'm sorry, and I think I can help you find another jar. It won't be the perfect one, but I think I might have one up there. Oh, you don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not to create the story. And finally, I just said, that's it. Stop it. Because <laughs> I used to be an elementary school teacher. Yeah. Did that, did that help? Because sometimes stop it, it can help. Oh, really? But you know, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no one way to do it. And sometimes um, a, a, a loving stop it. Um, you know, is the thing to do. It's, it's, it's hard to say. We have a lot of things in our repertoire, you know? And it's, it's really, can we be present in, in it? You know, can we not fly out of our bodies? Can we not lose ourselves? You know, can we, can we stay where we are? Can we feel our feet touching the floor? Can we know the reactions that are happening? You know, instead of like doing, 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 you know, like trying to apply like Dharma, you know, <laughs> this, you know, is going to work, this, you know, that kind of thing, which kind of depletes one's, um, you know, faith in these things. So it's not always such a good idea to do anyway. But really just, you know, can you, can you, can you practice relaxing actually? You know, noticing that, that, okay, his face looks a certain way that you don't like, you know, and your face looks a certain way too, you know, so can you, can you soften your own experience, soften your own body, because you can't take care of him in that moment, you know, by telling him how you want to take care of him, because it can't be heard. Right. Yeah, so can you take care of him by taking care of yourself in that moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, okay, yeah. I just want to add on to sure. what my friend is saying, because yeah. I, this was central in my thinking while you were talking, because I think a lot of us live with other people. <laughs> and how do you take care of yourself first? Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. I'm thinking, well, I would have just left. Now, is that averting, or you know, is that a taking care of, or is that averting? It's hard. It's hard to say because you know, one question is when you're in the face of this, do you always leave? You know, is that your habit? Um, you know, and what would it be like if you stayed around? You know, even though you're feeling like, I've got to leave, I've got to leave. You know, what would happen if you stayed around? You, you might want to experiment like, with that. Yeah? Um, yeah. But given the fact that one has stayed around in many of these circumstances uh-huh. and then one decides uh-huh. to leave. Yeah, that might be the wise thing to do. There's no... There's no not a, in your teachings, that's not no. aversion. No, because you want to know what is happening. You don't want to do it in a mechanical way. You know, like, I can't stand this, I have to leave. Um, you can know 
um, I can't stand this. And, um, you know, consciously I'm leaving. You know? So that you're not deluding yourself. And so that you're not like operating out of a torment of heart. You know, because when the torments of heart are really strong, of course it moves into action. It moves into speech. So um, if you think in that moment that that's the safest thing for yourself and the other, it's worth experimenting with. You know, it's definitely worth experimenting with. And maybe out of that, there's more understanding that comes about. Maybe you cool off and can kind of, you know, kind of a, a sense of, of serenity can come back in. You know, you can, you can take some moments and just, just um, hang out with the very terrible feelings and see what happens when you do that. Um, maybe, you know, if it's a tango, um, you, you can't do it for this reason, so I want to be careful here. But if it's a tango, maybe the other person, you know, learns through that too. And there's a sense of, you know, what is kind and what is not kind. And, you know, kind of what um, you, you don't want to stay around for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there might be something that, that is learned by both through experimenting in that way. Yeah? Okay. And you are so right. I mean, you know, other people. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing about other people is that one image is like, um, you know, if we were like a potato with a skin on our own, our skin would probably, you know, stay on. Whereas if you put the potatoes all in a bag and shake them up, then the skins fall off. Yeah. So, and in this context, skin falling off is a good thing. Finding our original nature. <laughs> the potato nature. Yeah. 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 I think I heard some good news um, tonight. Um, that is, when you were talking about um, just the awareness that you need to let go of something, is actually the beginning yeah. of letting go. Yeah, yeah. And I was actually yeah. um, thinking about this earlier today. Uh huh. Yeah. And gee, that might be the case. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And um, just, uh-huh. you know, not worrying about how long it's going to take. But right, just right. Having right, that right. beginning yep. of the awareness of, oh, this is something more. Something else that you need to let go of. Exactly, exactly, yes. And the other point I was making in that same, you know, kind of along those same lines that I, I want to make sure you heard, was that if there is awareness, it doesn't matter what you're aware of, it's still good. Yeah. So even if you're aware of, you know, something really terrible within you, if you're aware of it and it's not just operating unconsciously, it's really a good thing. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, the part of your talk tonight that I found um, most fascinating um, related to some um, interests in, a, in a, another older, long-forgotten spiritual tradition, which was uh, a form of Christianity called Christian Gnosticism. I've heard, of, I've heard of it before, but I didn't know what it was. So I went and looked it up. And in this article on um, describing what it was, they got into um, a description of what the word Gnosticism it's ancient Greek word for knowledge, right. and they talked about this this um, <coughs> this concept called the Gnostic process, mm. which is um, which I took away from the article as being foundational to our experience as human beings. Which is it's a three part process, which is basically we have a problem, right? We have problems in life. That's step one. Step two is 
the light bulb goes on, which is, hey, it's possible to actually resolve this problem. And then step three is the um, eventual resolve of the problem. And in the three-step, um, or three-point that you were talking about tonight with the calaisis being the, um, it sounded very similar to me, but the calaisis being the, hey, I have suffering, I have this problem. Mm -hmm. And then the awareness being, you know, the light bulb that goes on. Mm -hmm. and, and then the wisdom being the, you know, mm -hmm. the source of mm -hmm. the resolving. So, nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, yeah. So I have um, another way of thinking about what this person just said and what you've been talking about. Yeah. If you talk about a contraction as a you know something our body does when there's stress or torment of the heart, um, when as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the contraction of birth. A birth that um, contractions are part of the birthing process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we look at the contractions that our torments cause us, mm. and if we can um, get you know the resolve of them, it's like the birthing of a new part of us or a new mm -hmm. way of being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a mm -hmm. way of welcoming mm -hmm. the way the contractions as mm -hmm. a um, process that's yeah. trying to make. Yes, that's great. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, I wanted to uh, check this out with you because um, I heard another um, teaching that sort of the analogy would be like eating mm -hmm. in the garden. And you want some types of things to flourish, in this case, like thoughts or states of mind or what have you, and others to just, you know, go away. <laughs> and, um, so, when is it appropriate to apply awareness, and when is it appropriate to sort of actively try to just not do something. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's an aspect of wise effort, what you're referring to, yeah, is to not, um, if you are onto the fact that, you know, something is beginning to bubble up, then you have to be aware of it, you know, you have to be aware of it. But um, you don't have to... Um, you really have a choice in terms of whether you give it more of a life mm -hmm. than it would naturally have. Yeah. So, and also, you know, maybe what you're pointing to as well is bringing in, and the Buddha talks all the time about cultivating, you know, so cultivating loving kindness is an antidote to just about everything, but, you know, um, everything. Metta is an antidote too. It's a very short list that it supposedly is an antidote too, but it's really actually a long list. So in reality, so um, you know, to cultivate loving kindness, to cultivate compassion, you know, to cultivate um, equanimity. I mean, this is this is really powerful in a life. Really powerful in a life. And it's not. It's it's all over in the sutras, in the discourses. The the cultivation, you know. Mm -hmm. It can be. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think maybe a little bit of a deeper understanding is that, um, you know, true nature, a, a maybe a taste of true nature, is loving kindness. Yeah. So it's not as if you're really replacing it. It's more that you're calling upon your inner resources, you know, and then they are there to support one um, if you've reflected, contemplated, um, encouraged, you know, the Buddha said that what we reflect upon, we become. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. So I think we're going to end. Um, Could you end by just? I don't want to ask a question. I want to ask a question about say that Tanzania. Could you give us an update? You know, because I know you're in close contact, and I've been very concerned about you and Michael. I know, you know, how is he and monetary involved? Could you take a minute? Is that a yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, the news is that he is fine. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's just take a moment. When we practice the Dharma, the clouds of sorrow disappear, and the sun of joy and wisdom shines brightly in the clear skies of our minds. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have clarity of heart. May all beings know inner freedom for themselves. so much and please feel free there's um, tea downstairs and just tea actually tea so